Right. Okay. So it sounds like essentially this stuff, this stuff really matters. Like in the, in the war for talent, like this stuff can make a material difference. That's kind of what you're saying, right? I'm saying exactly that. I think that the war for talent has called for extreme measures. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud9Fin. I'm your host, Will Cager-Smith, and the other voice you just heard is Sasha Jensen. She runs a recruitment firm focused on the credit space, helping funds hire front-of-house personnel all the way from fundraising roles through to portfolio managers. Now, hiring is obviously a huge consideration for a lot of our listeners, and these days it can be tough. There's a lot of competition for candidates, and there's a huge focus on building a diverse team. And Sasha is an expert on all of this. So here's the conversation we had about it. So typically on this podcast, I'm talking to investors, bankers, or lawyers who work in the credit markets. And you also work in the credit markets, but obviously as a recruiter, and I've not really had any other recruiters on the show before. So so maybe you could start off by telling me what kind of people you recruit and what firms you recruit them for. Jensen Partners is focused uh, primarily on distribution, capital formation, product development, uh, and product specialist IR positions. We also have an investment uh, unit which focuses on specifically diverse investment hires across all alternative strategies. So credit, infra, real assets, private equity. And Jensen Partners, um, the key team at Jensen Partners analyzes the capital formation um, marketing distribution professionals. So that's LP focused professionals who are out there raising money from those investors. Okay. And can you give a little bit of background on the work you talked about in the investment side of credit specifically, as opposed to fundraising and distribution? So the investment side um, of our practice has been um, DE&I focused. And what that basically means is clients, credit uh, credit funds came to us asking us to map out the universe of uh, credit investment individuals from you know analyst, senior associate, VP, all the way up to the CIO, P, or the portfolio manager at senior investor level. And that has been um, a business that's been really coming to fruition in the last two years because the quotas for uh, DEI hiring have increased across the front office. Um, so the practice focuses on mapping a, a whole universe of credit funds out and then picking the rising stars and the rainmakers from each of those platforms. Okay, yeah, that makes total sense. And I guess for you, the way I worded my initial question about what kind of people you recruit obviously has a deeper meaning because your whole focus is on presenting diverse candidates for the firms that you work with. Um, and it feels like there's more and more recognition that finance generally and credit within that is not an especially diverse sector. So maybe you could just give an overview of how things stand today from that perspective. Um, you know, how is the industry doing when it comes to diversity today? So the industry's doing um, an okay job, I would say. Um, we've seen marginal improvement across the board. Um, we've seen an accelerated um, focus on promotion of women within current positions to senior positions. Um, the 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 mandates uh, that we've taken on, I think this is probably an interesting data pay point for you. We have so 35 mandates right now, and 17 of them are DEI-focused mandates. What does that basically mean? It means there's a quota to hire diversity of gender or diversity of ethnicity, uh, underrepresented group into that position. And it's not just an intention, it's a directive. 
So that's been a big shift. And then um, to the positive again, if you look at the, um, the the hiring stats, for example, distribution for the whole of 2022, and the majority of the, the moves that we have tracked for you know for this audience has been credit moves, so credit distribution moves. Over 63% of the 2,000 plus moves we hired, we, we tracked on hiring, they were women. So the diversity of gender stats, um, there's actually been a hit for gender parity for the first time ever in our numbers. In other words, that the diversity of gender for females has come out top. Nice. All right. And that's, a, that's the first time we've ever seen that. First time ever. Well, that's good news. Um, and just to back up for a second, maybe um, I could just ask you again about the, the database that you have, right? Because it sounds like it's it's pretty detailed. So what kind of data do you collect? Okay, so if you think about um, Jensen Partners, the executive search firm, we didn't touch on it, but Jensen Diversity Metrics is our... Um, it's, it's our SaaS tech um, software uh, firm that analyzes diversity on every single platform. Um, it's like an enterprise solution for workplace DEI. So what it does is it tracks... Um, every hire, every departure, it looks at the self-identification. Excuse me, the self-identification of each individual. Are they from a, an underrepresented group? Are they a female? Do they identify as male? And then we analyze um, the promotions, the retention, and then the talent acquisition statistics and the attrition rates across the whole platform. And that has been, you know, really important for us in terms of data for both firms, because Jensen Partners, uh, as an executive search firm, uh, you're, you're sort of probing about the database. We have this database of candidates and inflection points and when they want to move across investment and distribution. And then on diversity metrics, we have this whole analysis of uh, the diversity of these candidates, inflection points in terms of inclusion and equitable pay and a lot of information that pertains to why a person would stay at a platform versus leave a platform. Right. Okay. Yeah. So essentially you have a living map of the industry and you kind of know everything about the people, you know, when a CLO manager is hiring a, a new associate within capital formation or for the investment side of the business, you know, when a senior partner is leaving a private equity firm and moving somewhere else and who might potentially replace them and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, we created algorithms um, across um, our digital mapping and we were able to sort of plug them into um, different vehicles that we, we draw down information from. So that's been why we've been able to track every hire, every departure on each platform is through our algorithms. Uh, and then we obviously qualify that information through through qualitative calling of these individuals and, 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 and finding out, you know, the platform they've just left who are the rising stars, who are the rainmakers, platform they're going to, you know, who are they sitting next to, who's, who is who is culturally aligned with their, you know, how they see culture as well. So it's really understanding whether there's fit on each platform. So on diversity, I mean, when, when I speak to people out there in the market, it sometimes feels like diversity and inclusion is one of those things that people clearly recognize it's something they should be doing more of um, and making a greater effort with, but often they're looking for guidance on how to put it into practice. Um, and it sounds like it should be a more sophisticated conversation than just saying, we want to hire someone from this role who isn't a white man. But I think most of us can think of examples where that's actually exactly how the conversation happens, even, even these days. So can you talk about how you, as a recruiter, kind of approach that side of the conversation when it comes to diversity and hiring diverse candidates? So we, we ask our clients if they have a DEI committee. Do they have a DEI objective? Do they have a, a DEI policy? Um, 
Do they have quotas? So I, I, I think that it's interesting to note that one of our firms, a $15 billion credit firm, was trying to increase its quotas by, you know, 40% more women by 2024 and 20% more persons of color by 2024. So really understanding the directives and where they're being driven from, who's accountable for those directives. Do you have a head of DEI? Are you, if you don't have a head of DEI, do you have a committee? Do you have a, um, any way of measuring the success through data? And I think that's what we get our clients to think about is pushing um, through data analytics on diversity metrics of if you have mandate A and you set out to hire not a white man, did you succeed? And if not, why not? Do you think it's fair to say that one of the main pillars of this approach is rather than companies setting out to hire X type of person, it's more about let me bring you a set of candidates from diverse backgrounds. And if you can't find what you're looking for there, then we'll we'll go elsewhere but like let's focus on the, the diverse candidates first and kind of approach it from the the bottom up rather than top down saying we want someone who isn't a white male right and i think to your point if you lead with the data so you will say to the we that's exactly what we do we actually came out officially in 2021 with a pledge saying that we promise to deliver 51 percent in all of our long lists which is in recruitment speak is when you deliver a large slate of candidates to a client 51 percent of those must be a self-identified diverse human being uh, for that particular mandate and so if you start with the data uh, the aperture wide on diversity, then when you get to the shortlist, as in again, in recruiter speak, when you get down to the key candidates that you're really thinking about hiring, the chances of that person being uh, diverse is uh, much higher than if you haven't started off with that statistical slate. Yeah. So that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what our commitment is as, as a firm. And there are areas and instances where you can't get 51% in, for example, credit secondaries. You know, there's it, there's very diff there's very it's a very difficult market to find the right appropriately trained talent in from a diverse perspective. And that's something that we're going to see over the next few years shift as we train more and more individuals to, to, to sort of meet the spec or whatever the mandate is. So I think it's an exciting time because many more clients come to us with the directive and the intention to definitely hire diverse candidates. And it's our job to keep them and hold them accountable. Okay, so um, I want to talk about the great resignation, uh, which as you as a recruiter, I'm sure will be very, very familiar with, um, but many of our listeners will also be quite familiar with. And I'm wondering whether you find that that trend makes it harder to find good candidates these days. And if that is the case, how does that impact your ability to present a kind of a diverse set of candidates to the to the recruiters, the sorry, the firms that you recruit for? We think that the great resignation hasn't really affected um, overall talent, um, human capital talent. Um, it's had an impact on the competitive landscape of every single executive search mandate that we work on. As there have been maybe fewer candidates, to your point, fewer diverse candidates in some mandates that are available because either some have taken the great resignation route or they've had decided to have a career change, those individuals that are left um, that are, are, being, are making themselves available to be interviewed by our clients, you have to understand that they've probably got five or six other clients, also funds, also chasing after them. And so the, the, if you like, the landscape just got smaller. 
um, and then the comp and the uh, ability to bring them across the line gets tighter uh, and get and get becomes more tricky overall as a as a search process. Um, but I don't think that overall that the Great Resignation has cost us a big dearth of talent in in today's statistics. We might see some of that lag in 2023, um, but as it stands today. Um, I would say that the industry has just become extremely competitive. So it's just even more of a kind of uh, a job seekers market than than it was before. It's a, we say it's a candidate market, not a client market. Moving on from that, what about pay? I mean, inflation is extremely high, as I'm sure all of us know. Have you seen that play out in the amount of compensation that firms are offering within the credit space? I mean, you already mentioned that the great resignation is kind of increasing comp like what what about on the inflation side of things and and is there still a big a big gender pay gap when it comes to diversity the 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 competition for comp is is definitely ballooned in the last uh 8 months so at the end of 2021 we saw comp you know go from 20% bump to 30 to even 40% um you know senior associates vps all getting paid you know, nearly up to 50% more than they were being paid before, um, much to the chagrin of many line managers who were trying to keep their current teams happy. Um, I think that the the competitive landscape has a lot to do with that. I think that the, see, the seeking for DEI talent has become, you know, a real fist, fist fight uh, because there, as, as we've been discussing, that the, the, the numbers are the numbers, right? So we need to train more diverse um, candidates and potential employees up. To, to hit the exact uh, spec of each mandate. And because of the fact that there's a lag in that uh, data as well, what you're seeing is, is that, you know, seven firms all offering one candidate, candidate will either, interestingly enough, go probably to the firm that has the most sophisticated D&I policy versus the firm that has the highest bid. So we've seen that a number of times um, in 2020, uh, end of 2021 and 2022. Um, the other data point which might be interesting for you is that we are asked by all of our candidates now to know the policies, the DI policies of all of our funds. Right. Okay. So it sounds like essentially this stuff, this stuff really matters. Like in the, in the war for talent, like this stuff can make a material difference. That's kind of what you're saying, right? I'm saying exactly that. I think that the war for talent has called for extreme measures. Um, and uh, I think I was um, talking with... Um, other recruiters uh, recently, you know, and we were all discussing the, the run on the bank for talent because there just hasn't been um, I- enough talent to go around. And those that are available, you know, they're not they're not as obvious to close as you would think. It's not about the biggest biggest the biggest fee or the biggest comp package. It's about way more sort of taking a step back of who is this firm is culturally. Where will I be in ten years time? I don't want to leave this firm. I want to stay at this firm. Longevity is key. So there's a kind of quality over quantity vibe here. Yes, that's what we've been seeing. Um, And, you know, culture has become, you know, a really important part of decision-making process. Would I join a firm uh, if it doesn't have the right uh, DE&I policies and procedures laid out? Are there mentorship programs? What are their benefits like? Do they have a DE&I committee? Are, is is DEI on the top of you know top of mind? A couple of um, very large private equity firms have um, 
created very specific um, mentorship programs, such as one has a an accelerated female uh, program. So you have to apply to get on it. It's quite competitive, but then they put you on a fast track within the firm, and they'll say to you, "Well, if you get if you get into this program and you pass all the different levels, then you'll be accelerated to MD in a much shorter space of time than you would have been if you weren't on the program." But I think thoughtful programs and mentorship programs like that can be really um, additive to anyone uh, being lured from firm A to firm B. Right. Yeah. The kind of intersection between culture and compensation here, I think, is really interesting. And speaking of speaking of that, um, we've recently some of seen some of the big investment banks deciding to pay junior staff a lot more. Um, and that kind of makes me think of how for, for the late 2010s, it sort of felt like the prevailing trend was for bankers to move overwhelmingly from banks to the buy side, whether it was to hedge funds or private equity firms or direct lenders. So I'm curious, is that still the trend that you're seeing today? I mean, I think the banks were mitigating, um, you know, through their own issues of great resignation to the buy side, right, which we've seen, you know, on and off over the years. Um, I still think it's um, I still think it's a trend that exists. Do I see it in the in the vast amount of numbers that we saw it in the past? No. Um, but I think partly because of the pandemic, hybrid working conditions, um, you know, pay bumps across, you know, the junior staff. I think that's where you're seeing a, a slight reduction in those numbers across the board. So I'm curious, if we do go into a recession, do you think that could lead to some of the progress that you're saying has been made on the kind of cultural side of things at, at some of these institutions um, could end up kind of being being rolled back a little bit as these firms retrench? I think if you're saying if you're asking um, that will a recession bring around a change in perspective internally, I think the answer is no. But I think that the the ways in which one holds oneself accountable for that is having a head of DEI and having a committee that reads, meets regularly and making sure that we're all on point um, internally. Right. Okay. And on that point around uh, DNI committees and kind of heads of diversity and that kind of thing. Um, I recently watched Netflix's documentary about Abercrombie and Fitch, the the fashion company, um, and they were sued for discriminatory hiring practices. And as part of their settlement, they made a push to diversify their workforce. And that included hiring a head of diversity. But after several years, it kind of became clear that these moves were largely symbolic. And while they had maybe um, increased diversity on the shop floor, so to speak, they they hadn't really changed the culture at the C-suite level when it came to more more senior members of staff. Now, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, but I want to ask a broader question that it raised for me, which is how do you ensure that diversity and inclusion is practiced further up the seniority ladder where turnover of kind of experienced people is is lower and because the people in those positions are just are just more senior and, and maybe more scarce so in our white paper that we published in uh, 20 uh, early 2021 we our whole um, theory uh, was that we advised that every firm should have some um, connectivity to a head of dni whether it's external consulting internal actual division as part of a, a business objective of the whole firm that individual or that consultant that's going to be um, overseeing the DEI policies and the DEI commitments and implementing of those policies and the education around those policies and the education around DEI and culture 
that person um, and that division is is basically responsible for ensuring that you you educate the senior um, individuals of that platform, the C-suite, um, the, the the senior managers, anybody that needs um, education around DNI, what it means, inclusion, how is it defined? You know, I think that is that's sort of step one, and then step two is um, again working with your human capital. Uh, partners to ensure that there is um, continued senior hiring of self-identified diverse candidates, um, because that is the way to build businesses from the top down. So you hire, you know, a senior diverse candidate into a role, and the hope is that that person will then hire and mirror uh, their own diversity as they build up the team, and that person will be able to educate from the top down. Um, and I think that 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 sort of Following through on that policy, and then the the with a sort of mirroring of the and the oversee um, of the um, the head of DNI for that uh, specific fund, I think that's what really makes it work. So you have action, you know, and then the, then the analysis of whether that action has actually taken place and whether these these um, policies have been implemented in the right way, and if those policies are being received and they are successful by the you know they're deemed successful by the employees. It's constant measurement and understanding and feedback and communication. Right. And having somebody objective, responsible for that. So you're not going to HR, which can be tricky sometimes because you feel like you're tattletailing or, you know, you, you don't want to cause a fuss. But you have this whole objective individual unit or human that is running this policy and procedure within the firm. And we found that to be successful. Okay, cool. So that brings me on to the broader topic of ESG, which is having a bit of a reckoning at the moment. I mean, we've seen for quite a while some accusations of, of greenwashing and people within the industry and also politicians decrying the the movement for being the ESG movement, that is for being unproductive or overly moralistic. We've seen anti-ESG investment funds argue that ESG is making your gas more expensive and it's making companies less productive and less competitive and it's just fighting against shareholder value. Um, I mean, I think most people would agree that diversity and inclusion is extremely important and fits pretty squarely within the S of ESG. So my question is one that a lot of people seem to be kind of reckoning with at the moment, which is, do you think it makes sense for E, S and G considerations to be grouped together in the way that the ESG movement has done? Do you think that the, the breadth of the ESG movement kind of weakens your mission in any way when it comes to the the social side of things. I think that the the problem with separating the E and the S and the G and trying to tackle them each individually is that with the ESG mandate, you are forcing attention on one or all three of these things at the same time. And that nobody can kind of... Um, that there is data and strict analysis on your E and your G. And I think people are working on the data and the strict analysis for the S uh, in terms of the metrics um, that uh, we've been discussing, the Jensen Diversity Metrics tracks, which is attrition, retention, advancement. Um, and I think that the 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 problem with splitting, splitting them up would be that you would be chasing after the E and you'd be chasing after stats for the S and, you know, the G separately. And I think that while it's, 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 it's bolted together, it does, it's not, it's not clear cut. There are problems with it, but it at least focuses the attention of, you know, you have an ESG analytical mandate in terms of 
there's quotas that one has to reach. And I know that there's been issues with greenwashing and there's been issues of people kind of slipping past the quotas and finding ways to dodge the metrics. But I think that if we start to split it up now, we're going we're gonna to have to recreate the wheel. All right. Well, this is a topic that we could probably talk for days about, I'm sure. Um, but we should wrap it up there. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming in, Sasha. It's been a pleasure chatting. It's been great to have this conversation. All right. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. But thank you so much for tuning in to Cloud9Fin. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like and share the podcast with anyone you think might find it valuable. As always, make sure to check in next week with my colleague Kat Hidalgo over in London for the latest European market news. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. So until then, take care.